Here, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, some of you will remember that last week Patrick Lethine gave a testimony about uh, the, the breaking down the spiritual walls of division that separate us. And, and Pastor Nick said, until all these testimonies, as, as many as people feel would be helpful for the body of Christ, are to be shared, we're going to share these week to week. This week we've got one of our elders, uh, uh, Femi, you guys know Femi very well, right? Uh, he's going to give us our, our testimony this week. Why don't you give him a round of applause? Yes. Thank you. Can everybody hear me? Okay, cool. Um, I wanted more time for this too, but we needed somebody to do it, so, okay. Good morning, High Point. My name is Femi Shikoya, and I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I grew up around a lot of white people, not as many as here in Madison, but a lot. Uh, and my family is black and Nigerian. The truth is that I've been more prepared for High Point than High Point was prepared for me. Um, people don't normally adjust for me. Uh, I almost always adjust to them. Some of you might say, well, I make adjustments too. The difference is the backlash, if you don't, probably won't mean you could ever lose your life, livelihood, community, etc. People might just think you're irritable or curmudgeon, but not dangerous. A young person here at church told me, you're different everywhere you go. Uh, I hope that I'm not inauthentic, but I don't know fully what authentic me is anymore, unless I'm sleeping, that's me. Uh, I always cringe a little bit hearing that about myself, but I know it's true. I work and hope I'm changing biblically, being sanctified. Paul wraps up 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 saying, <laughs> I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And in John 17, 20 to 23, Jesus' prayer for non-believers is that by our unity, they will know him. This is why I don't have a horror story at High Point or at work. I, with others, change how I present myself within reason to fit people's expectations so they know that I'm not a threat. If I had to recount every time I made an adjustment or had to make a concession to make sure I either didn't startle someone or because I was afraid I might lose my life, it might take too much time today. If you can catch me and are patient, I can share some of those. In an era of being unapologetic, I struggle as to why if I get mad, it's scary, and passion is interpreted, interpreted as aggression. But others get permission to yell at people and are just telling it like it is. If I cry at the treatment of certain people, I'm not holding tightly to the promises strongly enough. If I say one thing wrong, it must mean my entire premise is warped and untrustworthy. And if I want to call something out, I'm being too sensitive, or you might feel convicted and then I have to spend energy consoling you. I believe if I can make these concessions, more people of color will come here if they see me. More kids from families with different backgrounds can have exposure to at least one, and with Lloyd too, black men, they can push out the messages of fear or marginalization. People can see the church and say, wow, Sundays aren't the most segregated hour in the church anymore. I understand that you can't program people to push away preferences and invite more options of how to do things. It's hard to be interested in more things than what you already like. Just remember, minorities are always making potentially more and more fundamentally significant adjustments, not always for your favor, but sometimes for survival. The savior of the world is infinitely interested in them and wants them included. If you're new or visiting here, that means you too. I, like Patrick last week, don't know what we do to move forward. 
I do know that I believe in a God who inspired Ephesians 3.10, that the manifold wisdom of God be made known through the church. A savior died so we could be reconciled to God. In church, with friends, and in families, we must kill selfishness of expectation to relate to others better. I am not the most interesting man in the world, but please stay interested, my brothers and sisters. Thank you. Amen. Tim, if you're around, the clicker is not here, unless, of course, I put it in my pocket, which is always a possibility, but in this case, it's, I didn't put it in my pocket. It's not on the board. <laughs> Sometimes that happens at High Point. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for creating a multi-ethnic uh, church and the the opportunities and the challenges that that presents. Uh, Lord, um, your ways are higher than our ways. Um, uh, we, are, we are your humble servants uh, wandering around trying to accomplish your will. Father, we just ask that you bless us in that. Uh, bless Femi for his testimony today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. We'll have uh, Pastor Nick will be back uh, next week. Uh, he's doing a well-deserved uh, vacation this week. Uh, this week I'm gonna be preaching on Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 13. And now that my clicker is handy, um, if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles as we read the scripture, I wanna say it's 1777 from when I looked earlier today, but let me make sure that that's the case. Yes, 1777 is where you'll start, and also it'll be here on the screen, okay? In fact, I wanna use the pages in the text. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me, through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, 
which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. There's my water. I can tell I'm going to need some. In uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and 1, and then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul talks about being a prisoner in Christ. And then when he concludes the message at the end, he says he's an ambassador in change. And so I would imagine the Ephesian readers, when they received this message, were saying to themselves something like this. Why is Paul in prison? Or at least something like, why would God permit such a thing? And so what Paul says very clearly as he lays it, it out in this paragraph, he explains that he's in prison because he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, calling all people, Jews and non-Jews, into the family of God. And it's for that reason that he's in prison. T uh, today, I want to cover primarily two things. I want to talk about the mystery of God's grace, and then I want to talk about the outworking of God's grace. The mystery of God's grace. The mystery of God's grace is a multi-ethnic church. And by multi-ethnic, all I really mean is that uh, the new body, the new thing that Jesus did was he called Jews and all non-Jews, people from all countries and places and languages together in one body in Jesus Christ. The mystery of God's grace. Paul says this, in reading them this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now, now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, it had long been prophesied in the Old Testament that Gentiles would someday enter into the kingdom of God. But precisely how was not clear. Just as an example, Paul writes in the book of Romans, quoting Hosea 2.23, how God, as he prophesied to the Jewish people, said what he was going to do in the future. This is Hosea 2.23 that he writes. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And he says in Hosea 2 and 23, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my, my loved one who is not my loved one. And so in the Old Testament, uh, one uh, had the law and the covenant. And uh, those who didn't have the law, those who were not Jews, those who hadn't practiced the customs, were not into the family of God. But, but Jesus, uh, the word of God, prophesies that at some point in the future, 
Those who weren't God's people were to be God's people. And it wasn't clear about how it would happen, but it alluded to it that it would happen. And he, again, in 926, he says, this quoting Hosea 1 and 10, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there will be called children of God. And what has happened in Jesus Christ is at the appropriate time in history, God called and made one body, not by taking Jews and making them Gentiles, or by taking Gentiles and making them Jews, but by creating a new body of, by his grace, through his death, his burial, and resurrection, by teaching us that the law pointed to the gospel of freedom, and then engrafting all people into the gospel. This is the mystery of the gospel. And I want to talk a little bit about the application for us today. Uh, I think that if there is only one place in the world where cultures and peoples of all various languages should be able to come together and live in unity, it ought to be the church. It ought to be the church because our very founding was based on that premise of breaking down hostilities and bringing us together in, in one. But my experience as a Christian in our lives and times is that the modern church is struggling to, to get this unity. And what I wanna do is give four practical things that the church can do, and in some cases is actively doing, that can break down these walls, uh, spiritual walls that divide us. The first two I wanna talk about uh, I want to apply to the church universal. What we can do uh, to uh, live in unity with our brothers and sisters uh, in Madison who are, are, are multi-ethnic, but not in our church. And then the, the second two, I want to talk about things that we can do within our body to break down these walls of separation. Because God has given us a way forward as we look at multi-ethnicity. And I think it is, we, we'll get some tips and understandings from this. Friendship. Some of you were here, uh, was it last week, when Pastor Harold Rayford came and gave his testimony of, of friendship with Pastor Nick, a friendship that they've been working on for six years. Uh, uh, not an easy friendship, because there's a lot of differences in the African-American experience and uh, Anglo-American experience in the U.S., but a fruitful experience where each of them come to know each other as they are and are able to partner in ministry to do some phenomenal things, so much so that Pastor Rayford, as he's being launched into a new ministry, uh, felt it a good thing to come and, and uh, reaffirm their friendship, friendships. Uh, I think about my friendship with uh, Bill Stevenson, who's at Hillcrest Baptist Church, uh, Hillcrest Bible Church in Oregon, used to be an elder on our board. And uh, he and I still get together every month, and I get a chance to fellowship with his wife, Ann. I think about my fellowship with Pastor Charles Yu. Uh, he and I have similar ministries. Um, he, he is working on uh, breaking down these walls of, of, of separation over at Blackhawk, and I am 
uh, a part of that, that work here. And we get together about every quarter and trade notes. And I learn from him some things. And here's the other thing. I don't know that much about Chinese Americans. And so it gives me an opportunity to actually learn a little bit about the culture and for him to learn a bit about African-American culture. I think there's three things that, that we can get. You know, why build friends cross-culturally? So that we can learn each other's cultures. Two, so that we can uh, gain the strengths. One of the things that I have learned from not only fellowshipping with uh, Pastor Charles, but also Greg Bergman, who was at Black Hawk and retired, was that get, they gave me tangible ideas, like a church-wide survey that we ended up using here at High Point Church. So there's certain strengths that they have, and with, them, with those guys, I share with them uh, Pastor Nick's blueprint book and his substance book. I sent them free copies. So there's this wisdom and knowledge that's being exchanged. There's strengths. But then here's the other thing. There's weaknesses. Uh, like my, my frailties and my sinfulness that is easy to pick up, uh, meeting every quarter or so over breakfast, easy to pick up. And so what we're also learning to do is how to love each other through our different weaknesses. Friendship is a key part that works not only in the church universal, but quite honestly, quite locally. The second thing I want to talk to you about that can help us break down these walls of separation is partnership. This morning I saw Dr. Chuck Moore here. Dr. Chuck Moore, uh, Mike Beresford, and uh, three uh, uh, churches have spent a lot of effort on building a Christian school network. About five years or so, actually longer, Pastor Nick and Pastor Tom, Pastor Nick from our church, Pastor Tom from City Church, came together and decided they could do more for Christian education working together than they could separately. And so they formed a, an alliance. And they saw increased academic performance, increased financial management over that five-year period. But a new kind of vision began to take shape. And if you've ever worked with Mike uh, Beresford, he's got a vision, man. He's got a vision. And so uh, their idea was that, man, I think this Christian school system, man, we could serve a broader network, maybe throughout Dane County, maybe even further. So the idea of Impact Christian Schools started. And uh, it officially was licensed in 2018. And it's really cool. You have Abundant Life Christian School, Pastor Tom Flaherty. High Point Christian School, obviously Pastor Nick, and then uh, invited in Lighthouse Christian School. Uh, Pastor Marcio Sierra, his wife Tia, is the, is the principal. Um, they, they serve primarily Latino and black students. And what has happened in this, in this fellowship is they share resources, things like curriculum development. They share staff. They cut costs. But there's this one very interesting new dynamic that we're working on. And it's called, it's out of the Wisconsin uh, Choice Program. So Lighthouse is a Christian school that can have students come for free if they're under certain economic standards. This is a state-sponsored program, the Wisconsin Choice Program. They've been doing this for several years. High Point Church and Abundant Life Church are about to put our toes in the water starting this fall. 
And I'm told, if I'm correct, and, and Dr. Chuck will, will, will clarify, about 30 High Point existing families, starting next fall, will be able to send their kids to High Point Christian School at, paid by the state through the Choice Program. And that was made possible by the partnership with Lighthouse Church because for the very first year, they have to sponsor us. So you get this idea that the cultures working together can do more to advance Christian education, working in, in partnership than in separation. I want to say partnership is a way that we can break down the walls of separation. And then I want to talk about a couple of local things. What can we do here at High Point Church? The first is uh, worship. In Acts chapter 11, the, uh, as the gospel spreads out of Jerusalem, as Jewish people begin to take it to other countries that they're from, the gospel spreads to the city of Antioch, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's, it spreads to Phoenicia, about 30 miles. It spreads to North Africa. And the Jews go back to the Jewish people and they share the gospel and, and Jews start coming to, to, to faith. But all of a sudden they got this wise idea. They said, listen, the gospel ought to be shared with the Gentiles. Paul said he specifically got that revelation from Jesus Christ, that the gospel should be shared with the, the Gentiles. And the first place where this happened was in the city of Antioch, which is in Syria, Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. The first city, and, and it says when they started doing it, the scripture says this, the Lord's hand was on them with great favor. And it says multitudes of non-Jews came to the faith. And the, the, the term the Bible uses is Greeks, and Greeks just means all the different national, national groups that were impacted by the Roman and Greek empires, right? The Greeks entered in in large numbers. So we see this situation where in the first century, there is a, a, a mega multi-ethnic church. And it gets better than this. In chapter 13, uh, the, the scripture says that the, the, the prophets and teachers of that church got together in Antioch, and three of them were clearly Jewish. There was Paul, there was his friend Barnabas, there was Manaim, who was known to be Herod's, uh, he grew up with Herod. But then there's two interesting characters whose names have kind of Roman and Greek influences. One is called Simeon who called Niger, Simeon called the black. Most likely an African Christian, a part of the five prophets and teachers in the first generation of the church. And the next person, his name is Lucius. It's a, it's a Greek name, but he specifically comes from Cyrene in North Africa. So we don't know precisely. He could have been a, a Jewish person who took on a Greek name, but him being from North Africa, you can assume the culture was different in North Africa than it was in uh, Jerusalem. In fact, we get hints of that when we see the, in the early church, the, um, I'll use the term racism that existed between the Jews from Jerusalem versus the Hellenized Jews, there was conflict. So what we see, what do we get here? So what, so what? In the very first generation of the church, there were in multicultural communities, there was multicultural worship 
with a multicultural leadership. That was early on. And so what we need to ask ourselves is, do we see that being reflected in our urban cities today? Worship. And here's the last one, confrontation. This comes out of the book of Galatians. Uh, it also, this, the scene also happens in Antioch, Syrian Antioch. And here's the picture. The non-Jews have come into the faith and the gospel. They've broken down the walls of hostility. Uh, Peter is there, and he's fellowshipping, going to people's homes and, and, and having great uh, relationships. But all of a sudden, people from Jerusalem who didn't understand the gospel correctly, who believed that the gospel was become a Jew first, and then accept Jesus, they came from Jerusalem. And when Peter saw these folks come from Jerusalem, he knew that they wouldn't accept this, and he backed off. He was like, oh man, I, I, I can't be caught with you guys anymore. And Paul was looking on at the sea. He was like, dude, you were just hanging out with the, with the Gentiles because of the freedom of the gospel that brought the peoples together. How is it now that you are now demonstrating this level of hypocrisy? Confrontation. Now, Peter got back in, in line at the Jerusalem council. He's one of the main witnesses to tell the church in Jerusalem, I think this is Acts 15, about the gospel spreading to the Gentiles. So he knew very sure, had preached it. In fact, Peter had even seen the Holy Spirit being given to Gentiles early in his preaching ministry. So he got back in line. So what? Here's what I think we can learn from this. There could very well be some things blocking multicultural uh, advancement within your tribe, within my tribe. And the best way to, to break down those walls of hostility is you within your tribe and me within my tribe. If we, we see people acting in ways that are contrary to the gospel's call to love and fellowship and righteousness and peace, if we see other Christians acting contrary, we need to step in to the people in our tribe. And the reason it needs to be you within your tribe is you've got more credibility in your tribe than I do. And the truth is, Femi's got more credibility in my tribe than, you, than Anglos do. We have a shared experience. We know the ins and the outs. And so I think why you don't see a Gentile who obviously was affected negatively by Peter, who had been their friend, turning away from them, the reason you don't see them being the ones that advocate is they don't have the credibility or the power. So confrontation in the local church. When we see things that are working against our liberty and the ability to include more and more and different peoples in, into the family of God, we within our tribes need to act and move forward. Now I want to talk about the outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in the text. The first is reconciliation. 
God's enemy becomes his friend. The second is revelation. His gospel is revealed to the angelic hosts. The third is access. All those who come to Jesus in repentance and faith can come to him freely with confidence and joy. That's why I like that first song this morning that was sung. It said something like this, that if you stand in the love of Jesus, fear must flee, fear must flee, access. Third, purpose. His servants see purpose in the, even in the difficulties in their ministry. Reconciliation, his enemy becomes his friend. Paul says this, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard of the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Check this out. If you and I were choosing someone to take the gospel to the world, would we choose perhaps God's biggest human enemy at the time in order to do it? Completely we would not, right? And so Paul is in awe that though he was a persecutor of the Jews and a killer of the Jews and a violent man, he says, I am probably the least qualified person. God in his grace called even me to be probably the most powerful apostle in terms of his writings and probably the most, other than of course Jesus Christ, the most influential Christian, right? And that's the grace of God. So what? If you are, have not come to Christ and uh, you've, you've been hearing some testimonies, you've been listening to Pastor Nick or Mike or Manohar or at other churches and you're beginning, it's beginning to make sense, this grace of God this notion that, that all men are sinners and, and need salvation, this richness of the Holy Spirit and its gift. If this is you, I want to say to you today, don't ignore that prompting. Take a step forward. See me after church and let's have a chat or let's set up an appointment. Uh, no one is too far from Jesus Christ. And even if you just have a few questions, um, take Christ seriously enough to engage those questions. God has called his enemies to be his friends. Revelation, his gospel was revealed to the angelic host. This one is mind-boggling to me. The scripture says this, Revelations 3, 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church comprised of human beings, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. By rulers and authorities, he means angelic hosts, both uh, demonic as well as, as angelic, as, as well as good. Both good and evil angels, they find out about God's plan, not directly from God himself, but through the church. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, even the, the, the angels 
uh, are recipients of the grace of God. One of the things that amazes me about God is this. He chooses uh, Paul uh, to take the gospel and not one of his early friends. He chooses common, ordinary people in order to show angelic forces the gospel, right? He doesn't speak to them directly. Uh, we serve a God whose wisdom is beyond our ability to comprehend. And I think what that means is if, if it takes complete human logic to be able to come to Christ in salvation, we're probably going to come up short. Because our logic won't come to the same conclusions that God's logic comes to. Come on with me, somebody. There's certain things that God does. There's grace that he extends that you and I just wouldn't extend. There's people that he includes that you and I don't want to include. And really what's interesting about this is that Paul, thinking about how wonderful this is, and recognizing that now he has changed. He used to be God's biggest enemy and now perhaps his greatest, most powerful advocate. In these texts, he says, I am still the worst of sinners. So there's this great uh, humility that all of us need as we talk about building multi-ethnic church. I am one of the worst of sinners. And so are you. And when we get to talking to each other and we get to relating to each other, you're going to see my weaknesses and I'm going to see yours. And we need to love ourselves through it to build the multi-ethnic church. God's wisdom is unbelievable. He even um, gives, extends grace to the angelic host. Access. His children can approach him in freedom and confidence. The scripture says this. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Low self-esteem or arrogance. Here's the application. I do a good bit of counseling with people. And I tend to struggle with both of these at the same time, right? Uh, I tend to struggle with sometimes having too low a self-esteem, not accurately assessing myself, and then I tend to struggle with arrogance. What God says is he is the solution to that because he says in him and through faith in him. The idea is that it's not your own righteousness, your own goodness, your own wisdom, your own intelligence that makes you a part of God's family. It's God's calling. It's God's death on the cross, his redemption. It's God's Holy Spirit, right, that takes you from being out of the family of God and puts you into the family of God. It's God's promise of eternal life, right? It's God's righteousness, not your own righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness that God is good. It's all of the riches come from Christ and make you qualified. Come on with me. You're qualified, not in and of your own doing, but in and of his great doing. So that we can come to him in freedom and in confidence because even our faith is not our own, he gave us, Ephesians chapter 2 says. Even our faith comes from him.
So we have access and boldness in Jesus Christ. Last one is this. Purpose. Paul is rejoicing in his suffering. This one, I still, I'm learning. I'm still learning on this one, okay. He's rejoicing in his suffering. He's in prison. And he has learned that God is using his imprisonment to be a blessing to others. Scripture says this in verse 1 and then verse 13 and 14. To begin this, he says, Paul, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. He's about to jump into a prayer. Then he explains, he feels like I've got to explain the mystery of the gospel. Then he comes back to it in verse 13 and 14. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And he says this in 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those who will enter into the kingdom of God, chosen by God, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is the thing. You are, if, when you become a, a Christian by repentance and faith, and you begin to serve him in any faithful capacity, you're going to have some difficult times. Can anybody say an amen to that? Some of you have been serving in youth ministry for years, and you'll remember coming into youth ministry, and the, the, the girls that you serve are just acting completely out of character, and it is extremely difficult, right? You, you are serving God in the workplace and just having one of the worst years of your life and still maintaining your integrity. What God is saying is that in the midst of your difficulty, you need to take stock of what the, the benefits are what blessings are. So Paul is in prison, and, but he knows that he's in prison so that he can share the gospel with the Gentiles. And he sees the benefit that they're growing more and more. In fact, in prison, he's sharing the gospel with the Roman soldiers, and some of them are coming to faith. So he sees this great benefit. So he tells them, don't be discouraged by the fact that I'm going through hardship. This is allowing you to glorify God. It's allowing God to be glorified by his work through me. And ultimately, I am sharing in the glory in Jesus Christ. So I was talking to um, Dave and Judy Wilkie, who are newer at our church. And um, they have been uh, serving at Orchard Ridge Elementary in the public schools in Madison. And I know that there's numerous people that volunteer in the public schools, and I've been doing it for a while. I can tell you, some of the things that you will see in the public schools that teachers have to deal with, some of the children issues, some of the challenges that they experience that, that teachers didn't experience in previous days, it can be really difficult. And so the Wilkies were given four students, and there was one student that the Wilkies were given where the teacher said, I, you know, I don't think this is going to work, but uh, I've, I've assessed the needs, and this child needs special reading attention. Would you take this child on? And they say, oh, okay, we'll do it. And sure enough, there were some weeks they would come, and this particular child was just struggling at home and didn't want to be bothered. And some weeks good, some weeks better, but they plugged in. In fact, as opposed to just working one hour a week, they found an opportunity to, to volunteer in an art class the second hour. They increased the amount of hours of volunteering. And when the kids had a special program 
in the evening, they decided to come to the program. And they saw, when they came to the program, the kids looking at them and waving and saying, hey, there's our friends, the Wilkies. The end of the year came, and they saw progress. Some weeks they were like, like I've been some weeks volunteering in schools. I'm like, I don't ever want to come back and see these kids again. <laughs> but by the end of the year, the difficult kid, and I can't give you his name, but there's a picture here of him. And he sent a card all through the difficulties and trials and stuff. And at the end of the year, the kid said this, he said, I love reading with you. Thank you so much. And so, when we serve in the world, showing the love of Jesus Christ, being a blessing to children in need, uh, it's difficult, but we can close the education gap child by child by exerting and, and serving in, in that way. The mystery of God's grace is a multi-ethnic church. The outworking of God's grace is reconciliation and a revelation. Even the angels find out about the gospel through the church. That's an amazing thing that we can approach him with freedom and in confidence, all because of what he's done, not what we do. That when times get hard for us, we can begin to look, God tells us, look for the benefit, look for the blessing, and that will give you strength in order to persevere. One of the amazing things about Jesus says this, that he came to earth to save sinners. So in other words, he came specifically to look for the most troubled and bad people, us. He, he didn't come to serve himself. He came to serve sinners. And so uh, in, in doing so, we look for the, the benefit of that. And I want to close with this last illustration. Uh, Shiloh Baptist Church, his pastor is H.B. Uh, Charles. He's the gentleman on your left. And Ridgewood uh, Pastor is, uh, this is a church outside of Jacksonville, Missouri, in the suburbs of Jacksonville. It is pastored by uh, Michael Clifford. Um, the Washington Post wrote an article in 2018 uh, about the, these churches in what used to be known as the Deep South. Jacksonville, Florida is northern Florida. Ridgewood is a suburb of northern Florida. And here's the situation. H.B. Charles was pastoring an all-black congregation, his father's church in California. He was called to Florida in 2008, a large, old black Baptist church. Uh, the previous pastor had a moral failing. After six years of rebuilding the church, up to about six or 7,000 members, they said, hey, we need to expand to the suburbs. They were in a fellowship. Now, if you've been in the South, you should know that Baptists kind of run things in the South. Both the African-American Baptists, which are usually a part of the National Baptist Convention, and the Anglo churches that are largely a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. They kind of dominate in the South. Come on now. All right. So, so, so there was a, a, a group of ministers called the Jacksonville Baptist Association, 
all kinds of churches, Baptists, Latinos, came together. And um, uh, one gentleman ran into HB and said, hey, HB was sharing with him that we were going to do this expansion. And he knew about uh, Pastor Clifford's church. And he said, you know what? You two guys ought to get together. You're talking about expanding in his church. His church is kind of struggling. They're kind of looking for vision. It turns out that they had a, a it was also a hundred-year-old church. A pastor died of cancer, and the congregation was kind of struggling. So HB and, and Mr. Clifford got together, and they got to praying. And their congregations got to praying. And after about nine months of struggling and thinking about it, they decided to merge together the, the congregations. And praise the Lord. The, the, the post says, Washington Post, they say they can't find, they have no record of anything like this happening hardly anywhere in America where you've got black churches and uh, uh, white churches coming together. And here's what happened. This new church is not only a member of the National Baptist Convention, this new church is the member of the Southern Baptist Convention too, amen? And they came together in one, and it wasn't easy. They struggled, and you know where their biggest struggles were in? Music. <laughs> Come on, talk back with me. Where my wife is there. Come on, talk back with me, Deb. The music struggle was in music. But they sat through and worked it through. And there's a story of a 72-year-old woman. They end this, this, this article, and I encourage you to, to pull it up. Washington Post. Um, Shiloh and Ridgewood, you'll get the article. The story ends with a 72-year-old uh, white woman and a 72-year-old black woman who never would have come together in fellowship going to lunch together. And the 72-year-old white woman is a Trump, a staunch Trump voter. And the, the black woman was an Obama, Obama supporter. And they're talking about their love for each other that they didn't have prior. That is the promise of the multi-ethnic church. It's not easy. It doesn't come without compromise. But it is the will of God. Let us pray. Lord, you have given us, through your marvelous plan, you have broken down our cultural and language and age and sex barriers through Jesus Christ. You have given us the power to love each other. All those who, who come to you, Lord, in repentance and faith are made new. And we have these vast resources of cultures and languages and peoples uh, Indonesia and Africa, Latin America, all small towns here in Wisconsin and all over the globe can come together and do dynamic things. That was your plan, to show the world that any kind of barrier between people can be broken down in Christ Jesus. Lord, that is your promise to us. Thank you for it. Empower us to live it out selflessly recognizing that our sins, but recognizing that your love is greater than our sins and reconciles our differences. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.